it is it is a joy for me to be here. I'm excited about our time together. I hope you are too. And uh, and Robert, I just need to say thank you for that uh, word about fear. I need to be reminded of that morning, noon, and night. Maybe I'm not the only one that tries to hang on to that truth. It's slippery like a fish, isn't it? When we try to hang on to those promises of God and that security that we have in the goodness of God. So thank you for bringing that, that word. Um, I wanna to talk to you today. Um, you might consider it a little bit of a follow-up from my conversation with you in Aruba. The hard thing about Aruba, of course, is when you're on the stage and you're given a formal presentation, you don't have the privilege of interacting. And so today I'd like to be a little bit more collaborative with you and ask for some of your thoughts because there are some things I'm wrestling with and I'm hoping you might give me some insights as well. So I, I want to start by introducing you to, uh, to a man named Walter Hooper, not a name I, I imagine that most of you have heard before. Walter Hooper was a friend of mine, died about a year ago. He was an American and he became acquainted with C.S. Lewis at the end of C.S. Lewis's life. Uh, Walter Hooper became C.S. Lewis's personal assistant and that meant that he answered letters for Lewis. Lewis had a voluminous correspondence, got letters all the time. And uh, Walter helped to uh, keep that, that uh, those uh, letters coming back and forth with that correspondence. He also helped with Lewis's books in some important ways. And he actually lived in Lewis's house. So they were very, very close uh, and they saw each other on a daily basis. I want you to think for a minute about that person that sees you on a daily basis, sees you before you've had your cup of coffee in the morning, sees you at that 3.30 afternoon running out of gas period in your life, who sees you not in the public face, but who really knows your heart, really knows your private times, knows you up and down, back and forth, loves you anyway, hangs in there, supports you. Is there a person like that that you can picture in your life? Somebody who knows you, loves you anyway, who companions with you in the hard times and the good times of life. That's who Walter Hooper was to C.S. Lewis. And what's amazing is Walter Hooper is the one who knew Lewis thoroughly and yet who declared that C.S. Lewis was the most thoroughly converted man he ever met. Mm -hmm. I think it's easy for us to be thoroughly converted when it comes to our public face, right? But we're talking about somebody who knew Lewis's heart, who knew the intentions of his heart. He said that Lewis was the most thoroughly converted man he had ever met. I talked about that in Aruba. And today, instead of kind of adding some more to that, what I actually want to do is kind of pause there and go, go deeper, talk with you about that idea. What does it mean to be <laughs> thoroughly converted? We think of C.S. Lewis as someone who is enormously talented, right? He's really smart. He had a first-class education. He worked really hard. He is an admirable individual, but when I'm thinking about the secret of his success, I think about how, I don't know, I think most of you have maybe uh, encountered a book or two by C.S. Lewis, right? You've maybe read the Chronicles of Narnia to your kids. Maybe you're familiar with Screwtape Letters or Mere Christianity. What I experience when I read those books and what I hear as I travel and speak to people around the world, when they read Lewis's books, they sense 
an extra dimension. They sense something else going on. They, they sense what I, I think I would call an anointing in those books. Here's what I believe is the core of the secret of C.S. Lewis's success. I think he was thoroughly converted. I think he was totally companioned by the Holy Spirit as he wrote, as he, as he lived. I think he was a thoroughly converted man. He listened to God, obeyed God the very, very best he knew. He loved the Lord and loved people with the love of the Lord. And that shows in his writing, in his ministry. So what I think that does for me is when I read a C.S. Lewis book, it's as if he wrote it in companionship with the Holy Spirit. So I get to read it in companionship with the Holy Spirit. That same spirit is at work as I read and start to understand that. And that comes out of Lewis's daily commitment to be thoroughly converted. So here's my question for us. How do we minister in such a way that the Holy Spirit of the living God is free to work in us and through us? in the lives of those we minister to and in their lives. How do we do that? How do we get there? What does it look like for us to be thoroughly converted? So here's where I need your help. When you hear thoroughly converted, what are some other words that come to mind for you? And what are some images maybe uh, that come to mind? Um, Doug, you had, had mentioned uh, in your introduction the idea of an old building made new. I love that, right? Thoroughly converted, completely made new. What words and images come to mind for you? Hmm. Dr. Glyer, it's uh, Wes here. Just um, you're asking men to share. <laughs> Tough thing. It's going to take us a moment, uh, but I'm I'm going to at least get us guys started. Um, it it to, for me, I picture less cell phone, less mm -hmm. cell phone, when I think of of more intimacy. That's. Mm -hmm. What comes to my mind? I distraction. Distractions a it's a it's a big modern deal in my life. So mm -hmm. so a broken the ice. Uh, how about for uh, for my colleagues out here? Well, I think if I may that uh, I, I think of engagement, I think of infatuation, I think of I was all in with my wife when we got married. After 50 years, I'm kind of questioning some of that, but um, I think I think of that time period where it was the all in all, and uh, there was just no no question, no doubt. Dennis W. A. Criswell said some days he said I I love my wife Muriel so much I could eat her up, <laughs> and the next day I wish I had. So. Uh, when I think of a thoroughly converted person, I have a checklist at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's a lot to consider, but, but that's what we ought to look like if we're thoroughly converted. There's also some comments, Diana, in the chat. Zimmerman says, sold and nothing held back. Some mentions total surrender. Steve Hinton says, less concerned with what the world thinks, completely concerned with what Jesus thinks. Those are great ideas. Those are, those are wonderful uh, ideas. But one of the things that comes to mind for me when I think about conversion is I am in the process of attempting to convert my garage into an art studio. So uh, here in California, I don't know if you guys know this, we don't use our garages to put um, cars in. I, I know some of you in cold climates do that, but we don't, we don't do that here. It's our bonus room. And so I'm in the process of trying to convert it, to transform it, to revise and remodel it. The problem is it still looks like a garage. <laughs> It still looks like a garage. And so I'm so grateful that Jesus talks to us about being born again. My uh, art studio will function within the bones of the garage. But as we're born again, we're completely remade. We're reborn. We're, there's nothing held back. Uh, complete surrender and submission and letting go. When I became a Christian um, back in high school, I remember my mentor talking to me about the problem of being a living sacrifice. You've heard this, right? Jesus calls us to be a living sacrifice. And the problem with the living sacrifice is it keeps trying to crawl off the altar. And so surrender is a daily process. If we're to be living sacrifices, that means that day after day after day, we have to be willing to submit ourselves all of ourselves to God. And, and I think about that in a number of different ways. There are six categories that I think are helpful for us to think about as we think about total surrender or being all in with God, giving God room to really be God in our lives. The first one is our time, right? How we spend our time. Do we spend our time with our ear attentive to what the Holy Spirit is doing and what the Holy Spirit is saying. You have had these experiences, I know you have, where you have been thinking about something or wondering about something and you hear that still small voice or that deep conviction that God is calling you to go a certain way or to not do this, but to go that way. Can we companion with God at a deeper level so that our time, minute by minute, we're more attentive to what the Holy Spirit is telling us? I also think about uh, not only our time, but our talent, right? Our gifts, our abilities. Um, I am uh, always uh, struck by how thoroughly people who are involved with the Solomon Foundation use their talents, their remarkable gifts, and what happens as they collaborate together as we surrender our talents and ask God, how do you want me to use this? How do you want me to spend this? Right? And then there's our treasure, our time, our talent, and of course our treasure, the things that we own. Um, I'm uh, working right now with one of my teaching assistants as she's preparing to serve as a missionary in Greece. And one of my daily prayers these days is how can I best support her? What can I give, right? How radically can I surrender 
my belongings, my time, my attention, my treasure to support her in the work that she's doing. So the idea of conversion or transformation or consecration, it becomes really powerful for me when I meditate on my time, my talent and my treasure but it comes, becomes even more powerful for me when I think about God being outside of time. And I think about the ways in which it's possible for us to commit not just the present through minute by minute listening, but our future, our hopes, our dreams, our goals, our plans and pathways. I don't know about you, but I suspect that I do not spend enough time asking God about the future. Uh, Dr. West, you gave such a great presentation in Aruba on retirement and rethinking retirement. I can't get those ideas out of my head. I keep on thinking about that concept that you talked about, free agency, thinking about the future, a season of life where I get to make greater choices about how I invest my days. And I've started to pray about that in a different way because of what you shared there in Aruba. So I wanna thank you for that. I wanna get better at praying over my dreams, my goals, my expectations even, and surrendering those in a greater way to Jesus. And here's, I think, where this becomes most poignant for me. If God is outside of time, then we can give him not only our time and our talents and our treasure, and not only our present and our future, but we can give God our past. He is Lord of the past. We can surrender the past, our hurts, our mistakes, the things we didn't get growing up and the ache that that leaves inside of us, the things that we didn't get to do, the things we did that, boy, we wish we hadn't. We can surrender all those to God too. We can consecrate those things, let go of them, leave them in the hands of our loving heavenly father. So here's another question that I wanna throw out because I need some ideas here. I'm, I'm wondering for you, when you think about giving things to Jesus, um, have there been specific actions that have helped you um, just to let things go, to leave them in God's hands? I, I can tell you one that I've tried that's been really helpful for me. Um, I've written some, I've written some letters to people that I wish I could have told things to, you know, and prayed over those letters and then burned them in the fire pit behind me and prayed that that smoke as it rose would be a pleasing aroma to the Lord and it would leave it in the hands of Jesus. That's an action that I've taken that's made consecration practical and I wonder if you have thoughts on that. What if you've got sort of a nagging something in your life? Um, or what if just, just possibly, I know this is daring, hang in there with me, don't get too scared. What if there's an area of my life that I'm having trouble giving up? What if 
there's a dream or a hope or an expectation? What if there is something that I sense I'm hanging on to and I want to really learn to, to, to release it? Are, are there some things that you have found helpful or that you have led your congregations in that have helped them to let go? What are some thoughts? I would just share, um, we happen to be going through a sermon series right now that's been, um, that goes right in line with that, I think. And it's, um, it's based off of a book. I think it's Mark Batterson, um, Dangerous Prayers. So the first dangerous prayer is search me. I think it's Psalms 139, but know any anxious ways that are in, you know, in me. And, you know, that whole, that whole Psalm is pretty powerful. The second prayer is break me. And then the, the third prayer is um, send me. So I think, um, I know it sounds kind of cliche, but I think that when I wanted to answer your first question, the word I wanted to use was authenticity. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that's what brings the greatest transformation. So like when Ken Eidelman said about the fruits of the spirit, you know, love, peace, joy, all those. I think authentically being joyful, authentically being kind at whatever that means for us. So I think that's the, for me, that's the best transformation. Um, so with that, I would throw that um, back to prayer for your second question of, of just really just trying to be raw and real and vulnerable. Thank you. So that's with God and then with, um, with someone that you trust. Several years ago, I was in a church in Sepulpa, Oklahoma, a very divided church. And um, they really wanted reconciliation, but they also were very, very squared off over the issue of music in worship. And um, so on New Year's Eve, we planned a service, asked everyone who was a part of the congregation to come together. Uh, I had a devotion and then we had a charcoal fire kindled in a Weber grill. And we had uh, little pieces of paper that, I don't know whether you've seen these, these pieces of paper that when you light them, they, they literally extinguish and there's no ash or anything. It's, uh, I don't know whether you've seen that, that, that kind of paper, but we, we gave everybody uh, pieces of paper, as many as they wanted and ask them to write their, their grievance down or their feelings of offense down on those little pieces of paper. And then we challenge them to uh, pray through until they could put one foot after the other, come to the front and drop those pieces of paper in that, in that charcoal fire at the front of the worship center and see the the uh, the slips of paper just literally extinguish in a puff of smoke and um there was something about that exercise that that was very freeing and they and part of it was it was new year's eve people were coming into the new year they didn't want to come with baggage they knew how important it was that the church be united yeah. and so their hearts were in the right place 
and they just need to get their, their heads in the right place. And that little exercise actually really, really helped to resolve those issues that were dividing uh, people that belong together. That's wonderful. Dr. Glyer, I've got a, a, a personal illustration that I have, number one, I've written about, number two, I've shared it with the church a couple of occasions, and then number three, I have to remind myself um, about, but, and, and I, I love this idea of burying the past, and literally about 12, 11 years ago, I was in Colorado, and I wrote this letter to God. And then I took the letter and I drove up to the top of Pikes Peak. And uh, I went out to a boulder field that was completely, um, uh, just completely alone in the boulder field and uh, prayed about it and buried my letter under a bunch of rocks and um, came down the mountain. So that, uh, that's something that I've used to encourage people. And like I said, I've got to remind myself, yeah, Steve, shut up. You've already buried this. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love the physicality of it, right? And what a difference it makes when we enact these truths physically. It's, it's incarnational, isn't it, Steve? I'm sure that if we had all morning, we could share other stories. Uh, I think back to the ways that different youth pastors have found to make these things clear to the younger um, believers in our midst. I just think that again and again, looking for these ways to incarnate or physically represent uh, these differences, uh, throwing a rock in the depths of the sea and reminding ourselves that that's how far um, you know, God has separated our sin from us, thinking about different ways to uh, enter into confession, uh, whether privately or with a trusted friend. There are lots of different ways, but I would encourage you as you think about this to think about how to make it physical, uh, how to make it tangible and the power that comes uh, from doing that. Hey, I wanna uh, close my uh, time with you this morning by uh, reading a few lines from a hymn that I think you're probably familiar with. It's a classic. It was written in 1874 by uh, a hymn writer named Francis Havergal. And so it was written um, about 25 years before C.S. Lewis was born. And as I was thinking about uh, closing with some words from this hymn, I got to thinking, well, this was written before C.S. Lewis was born, so maybe he was familiar with it. And as I was praying this morning and just wondering how to make the C.S. Lewis connection, I, find, I, I, I suddenly um, remembered something. So, uh, so I have this book. This is one of my uh, treasured possessions. I'm blessed to own three books that were part of C.S. Lewis's personal library that were in his home, that have his um, signature in them, that were part of his personal collection. He lived with these books. And this bit, book in particular is called Singers of Zion. 
And it goes in a lot of depth <laughs> about Francis Havrigal. So we have evidence that not only did C.S. Lewis know this particular hymn, but he was interested enough in this particular hymn that he bought a book and kept this book on the shelf in his library. Uh, and this hymn, I think, is a wonderful prayer, and I'd like to end with this. So would you join me in an attitude of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord God of the universe, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise. Lord God, take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Lord God, this is a hard one. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart. It is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord. I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. Amen. <laughs>